Our Father, you said in your word, those who know thy name will put their trust in you. The scripture also says that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are saved. We read in the Old Testament that uh, when Israel was unfaithful, you would be faithful to them for the sake of your name. Your name stands for something. Your name means something. You are the one true God. And the Trinity is a great mystery to us. We don't have the bandwidth to comprehend it, except we know that The Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father. But the Father is God, and Jesus is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. We, we can't fathom that. But we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in Scripture, and you were called by many names in Scripture. We thank you for the name of Jesus that is above every name. We thank you that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. We live in uh, a world where there is such rebellion to your name. There is such a strong current against you. There has always been that. It has got increasingly worse in this culture. How grateful we are that those of us who were once blind, you've opened our eyes to see the truth of the gospel and the call in the name of Jesus. Satan has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they may not see the truth of the gospel. And we were there, and then you opened our eyes. And we called on the name of Jesus. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So we are grateful men. We are blessed men to be in your family, to be your sons. And we thank you, Lord, not only for the fact that you saved us from our sin, but that you continue to save us in our circumstances. Uh, you don't ever stop saving. You're always there. You're always available. Your promises are always true. Sometimes, Father, we wonder why uh, our prayers are not answered in the timing that we would wish. We can't figure that out. All we know is that we're being delayed. And we feel at times that we're praying according to the will of God. But we thank you that you are all about timing. We thank you that you hear our prayers. And when we are in desperate straits and situations, we call on you. We don't always get an immediate answer. There, there are times you will give us an immediate yes, or there will be times it'll be real clear it's no. So often you call us to wait because you are all about timing. I would pray for the guys here that find themselves in a situation where they are being forced to wait. 
they are doing what they can do legitimately, but they have done what they can do legitimately. And now, Lord, we are waiting upon you to bring a mercy and to bring a deliverance. How hard it is as the weeks and months go by when we don't get that deliverance. Uh, we fight off uh, anger and we fight off fear and we fight off panic because it seems like we're just getting to the absolute end of our rope and we are literally at our wits end. But thank you for your timing. And thank you that you hear us when we pray. The psalmist said, I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my supplication. You answer at the right time. I pray tonight you will give us patience. Even as we all are calling to you about different situations, give us patience to wait on you. You know what's best. We've learned that in the past. Don't let us forget that lesson. Your timing is impeccable. You're never early and you're never late. You're always just on time. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And at the right time, he will exalt you. We wait for your timing. And as we're waiting, Lord, continue to give us what we need. Day by day, hour by hour, we acknowledge we are completely dependent upon you. When we've got vast resources, we can forget that. But when we're down to fumes, we are mindful that we have nowhere else to go except to you and to call on your great name. Deliver us, we pray, in your way, in your time, and grow us in the interim and build our faith let us not become weary in well-doing. This would be our prayer tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. World War I was a terrible war. If you've read any history on World War I, uh, uh, England lost an entire generation. Uh, young men gassed. Young men... Uh, killed in the trenches. It was horrific. Um, <clears throat> uh, there's, uh, no war is a good war. Uh, you know, when, when wars uh, are, are when, when wars don't come to a quick resolution, more and more young men are pulled into them. And you know, these young men in World War I or whatever war, whatever time where young men are being uh, drafted into service. Young men are taken to boot camp for a certain amount of time and it's pretty concentrated. And then they spend weeks and weeks with those young men and there's a point where they are done and they, they are finished and they're sent off to war. And they're, they're running them through. You graduate one branch, uh, one batch, and then here comes another. Uh, there were two young men who found themselves uh, getting ready for World War I. They were going to boot camp. They didn't know each other, but uh, they were in the same barracks. They were both right around 19 or 20 years old. They both came from very humble means. Uh, 
they weren't real good friends, but they were in the same barracks. They knew each other. Um, the reason I bring this up is that these two young men would turn out to be two of the greatest visionary leaders in the history of America. Um, when they got a little bit of leave, one of the young men, the other guys were going into town, he just stuck around in the barracks. He was always sketching, he was always drawing. Uh, his name was Walt. <laughs> Walt Disney. But just a few bunks down from him was a guy who was very outgoing. Walt was fairly quiet, kind of reserved. Always thinking, always doodling, you know. But there was this other guy who was real outgoing and always networking. And you could just tell the guy had a lot of drive and a lot of ambition, uh, incredible energy. Wasn't quite sure what he wanted to do, but he wanted to go into some kind of business. His name was Ray. Ray Kroc. Isn't that all wild? That two young guys, 19, 20 years old, were in the same barracks. And, 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 and quite frankly, nobody knew they'd be great visionaries. But uh, Walt Disney was a great visionary. Ray Kroc was a great visionary. We have been talking about this semester the concept of finishing strong. And one of the ingredients in finishing strong is to have vision. Vision. Um, that's kind of hard to do in the Christian life. It's a little bit hard to do because we've pointed this out before. In this race that is called the Christian life, there, uh, there is no finish line that you can see. Years ago, uh, many years ago, I used to run three or four miles in the morning. And I had this course lined out, and uh, I was always trying to improve my time. And, you know, after, it was about three miles, but there was a certain point where, I, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit gassed, and then I would come around that that one street, and I'd get into that park, and I had to make a loop all the way around the baseball diamond, and then I had a finishing mark over there by third base. And when I came around that subdivision down that street, and I could see that park, I could see the finish line. And I, I you know, I, I, I would just kind of focus on that finish line. It gave me something to fix on. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, we read this, and this has been our theme verse. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Here we go. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Uh, the finish line in the Christian life, the finish line for us is when we die. Now, as we're sitting here, every guy in this room, you kinda got, you've kind of got an idea in your head, ballpark, how many years you've got left. Now, you know it's not for sure, but, you know, you're kind of thinking you've got X amount of years. That's just how we think. Um, nothing wrong with that. But you don't know for sure. Nobody knows because life is very fragile. Now, the Lord knows, and he has set the number of our days, and you cannot go past them. Um, 
You just can't do it. It's appointed Hebrews 10 for a man wants to die and then comes judgment. So it's hard to know the finish line. You maybe have read the life insurance, life expectancy charts and all that, but you could walk outside and get hit by a car. You just don't know. So in this race, we, you got to fix your eyes on something. In our race, we fix our eyes on Jesus in this race. Here's, here's a tip for the Christian life. Never fix your eyes on people. Never. A lot of times guys, you know, get involved in a church and they have a bad experience and they get a bad taste in their mouth. Why? Because they dealt with some leadership or somebody and they just weren't treated right. I will tell you this, the, the hardest shots I've ever taken in my life have come not from people outside the church, it's come from those inside the church. You see? And that's kind of hard to deal with. And then you go through the whole thing, well, you know, I'm... You know, I, I don't want anything to do with the church. There's so many hypocrites in the church. And there are hypocrites in the church, and you're one of them. <laughs> we're all hypocrites, are we not? Yeah, you bet we're all hypocrites, every one of us. God has his code. Well, I've got my code. I've got a moral code, and you've got your moral code. We don't even live up to our own moral code, do we? No, we don't. We're all hypocrites. We, this is why we never focus on men. We thank God for men, for godly men. I've been influenced by godly men that have uh, encouraged me and taught me and uh, have been examples to me. I thank God for them, but you can't fix your eyes on men because every man is flawed. Uh, You get close to those men and they'll disappoint you, and it won't take long for them to disappoint you. Why? They're men. But Jesus never disappoints. So we fix our eyes on Jesus. And we fix our eyes on the fact that we are following him. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me. We're following the Lord Jesus. You see, we used to be lost in our trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2.1, not just lost, we were dead in our trespasses and sin. But he made us alive in Ephesians 2.8. And so when we come to know Christ, If any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away, all things have become new. So now we're embarking on this thing called the Christian life, and we're pursuing Christ. Uh, And what we want to do, and this is what we've been discussing, we want to finish strong in the Christian life. I I would say this to you, it takes vision to finish strong. Um, How many years do you think you have left? you got a number in your head. Uh, If you're a young guy, you think you've got decades. If you're in midlife, you think, yeah, I've got, you know, I've got, what, 30, 40 years? If you're in your 70s, you're thinking, hmm, you know, how many? Turn with me to Psalm 90. Uh, Psalm 90, uh, when we think of the Psalms, we think of David. Psalm 90 was actually written by Moses. And in Psalm 90, beginning with um, verse 10, Moses writes this. He says, As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80. It's kind of a ballpark there, okay? Some guys get a little less, some guys get a little more. It's the plan of God, whatever he's determined for you. As to the days of our lives, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow. Uh, you, You know what? You get worn out. 
because what do you do through those years? You work. If you're a man, you work. You're supposed to work. You work and you labor and you get miles on your tires and you kind of get worn out. You see? And then you're going to have some sorrow. Now, you don't just get sorrow. You have some blessing of God and all that. But, uh, you see, what that tells me is it's a long race. It makes sense he would say that. Labor and sorrow. Why? Because it's a long race. Let us run the race with endurance. It, it, it's, it's not a piece of cake race. It's a hard race. It's a difficult race. A lot of it's uphill. A lot of times you get up in the morning, you don't want to run the race. You get discouraged. You get worn out. You get depressed. You get discouraged. Sometimes you have great victories and excitement. You thank God for that. But just don't, don't miss this. It's a hard race. So this 70, 80 years, the pride of it is labor and there's sorrow. Um, soon, soon it is gone and we fly away. Is that not true? The older you get, the faster you see it going by. I remember as a kid... That, that period, right? We're coming into right now Thanksgiving. When I was a kid, that stretch from Thanksgiving to Christmas was three months long when I was a kid. Maybe four months. You remember that, don't you? You'd have the Thanksgiving dinner and all that, and then, you know, you'd do the tree and the lights and everything, and it took forever to get to Christmas. At least three months, at least four months. Now you got Thanksgiving and... Ten days later, you got Christmas. Doesn't it seem that way? Yeah, the older you get, the faster it goes by. Soon it is gone. What's gone? The 70 or 80 years. Soon it's gone, and we fly away. In light of that fact, look at verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Uh, we all have regrets, and we've talked about this in this study. Before we came to know Christ, we all have had wasted years. We, uh, we spent our energy on wasteless pursuits. We were pursuing uh, gods that are just foolish, gods of affluence, gods of power, gods of control, gods of wealth, gods of stuff that really doesn't mean a heck of a whole lot. But then the Lord reached down, grabbed us, brought them to himself, and now our God is Jesus, and we're following Him. And we're finding out what really counts and what really matters. But every guy in this room, you look back, and you've got some wasted years, and you've got some regrets. And, uh, and we've, we've mentioned this, that a lot of times the enemy just kind of, he misses with us because he'll bring up those years that we wasted. And we just kind of, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe the decisions. I can't believe the choices that I made, but we made them. We all have done it. Okay. Now, in light of the fact that's what we've done, how many days do you have left? How many breaths do you have left? You don't know. But whatever I've got left, dear God in heaven, let me live those days, let me use those breaths to live with wisdom. I want my life to count. I want my life to be productive. I want to be a positive influence in the lives of others for, uh, for Jesus Christ and however you would choose to use me. I've had it with a wasted life. I want to be used in, in a way that would glorify you and honor the kingdom and build the kingdom and build people. This is why you're here on a Wednesday night. We don't, we're, we've had it with futility and going down dead-end streets. So you see, if I want to finish strong, uh, now, now, now track with me here. I want to finish strong. 
Well, you got to have vision to finish strong. I, I, I think you have to think about the fact that you're going to die. And I think it's healthy to think about that often. Often. Because it's reality and it's a fact. You are going to die. And that's your finish line. So in the days that I have remaining until I hit that finish line, it might be 40 years. Uh, if you're a young guy, it might be 60, 70 years. Uh, you might have three weeks. It might be tomorrow. We just don't know. But in what I've got remaining, dear God in heaven, let me live my life with wisdom. So you see, that's your vision. I want to, in order to finish strong, you got to have a vision for the finish line. And, and in order for me to do that, I want to live wisely. Now, when I wrote the book Finishing Strong, I really camped on this idea of vision that it takes vision to finish strong. I still believe that. I, I wrote that when I was 45. I'm now right around 50. That's... <laughs> you didn't buy that, did you? So now I'm 65, which is hard to believe because of my youthful appearance. <laughs> we had some uh, family pictures taken a few weeks ago. And uh, anyway, they, they, we got an email last night. They're up online, and Mary and I were looking at them. And uh, I'm just thinking, gosh, I'm getting old. I mean, I look old. And then Mary, you know, she's looking and she, what do you think of that picture? I said, yeah, it's fine. And she said, we might have to clip this. Uh, hey, Nathan, just make a note. This will be clipped. But uh, in fact, I'm not even going to say it because I don't want to get clipped when I get home. But she, no, she said, she said, you know, I just, I look old. Well, we're both 65, you see. Just life, just how it works. We're getting older. We're getting miles on the tires, you see. Need new shocks and struts. <laughs> Just, it's just life, man. Uh, and I said to Mary, uh, yes, you're getting old, Mary. No, I didn't say that. I just said, no, nah, you look fine. And she does. I mean, she honestly does. But she's noticing little things. And she does look great for being 65. I will tell you a true story. For years, Mary and I, I'm a month older than Mary. And she used to be a soprano soloist for a long time. And uh, anyway, and this happened to me on two occasions. I was uh, speaking somewhere, and she, before I got up, she, she sang. Two different occasions, someone came up to me afterwards and said, uh, would you tell your daughter how much I enjoyed that song? I, I'll tell her, you bet. So anyway, okay, we'll keep that one in. So when I wrote this chapter 20-some years ago, it takes vision to finish strong. See, now, if I were rewriting this, I'll tell you there's another piece I'd throw into it. It does take vision to finish strong. I, 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 see, Lord, I want, you to, I, I want to live with vision. I want to hit the finish line with a strong kick, following you, uh, not compromising my convictions. Uh, I, I want to be all out for you. Okay, that's a good thing. But here's the other piece I would put in. 
It only takes vision to finish strong. It takes focus to finish strong. Focus. Focus. Uh, we just read Psalm 90. So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Okay, so as I'm trying to finish strong, I want to focus on wisdom. Not foolishness, wisdom. Every day. Now go over to 1 Corinthians 4, verse 2, if you would, please. Uh, I want to I build a case here. Vision's a great thing. A lot of guys... A lot of guys are visionary. But you see, it takes more than vision. you got to implement. It's great to have a vision. It's great to, to lay out and cast a vision. But you see, the name of the game is not just laying out a vision. It is implementing the vision. And in order to implement a vision, you got to do it in daily steps. First uh, Corinthians, excuse me, 4... Paul says, let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Let me just comment here real quick. So Paul is an apostle. He is, he is hand-picked by the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. He's going to persecute the church of Jesus Christ. And Jesus appears to him and calls him and his whole life is radically changed. The great persecutor of the church is now the great preacher and theologian of the church. It was a remarkable transformation. Um, Paul was an apostle. No apostles in this room. No apostles on the earth. Uh, we, we have the apostles in Scripture. The, the church is built on the apostles and prophets, with Jesus being the chief cornerstone. Some churches say, oh, we have, we have apostles. Well, we do too. We have the original apostles, and we have the scriptures. We stick with them. Uh, Paul was called to be an apostle. You've not been called to be an apostle. I haven't either. We've been called to different things and to different gifts. Uh, we've been called to do different things. Every guy in this room has been called... If you know Christ, He has called you to Himself, and He has also called you to do a work. A lot of times guys go into ministry and they'll talk about the calling in the ministry. And I think there is a calling in the ministry. I, I think there is a very definite calling, and if you don't have it, you should not go in the ministry. I, I, I've heard wise men say, and I heard this as a young man, if you can do anything else other than go into ministry, do it. And I think that's, I think that's very wise. Um, but I think there are also other callings. Uh, Os Guinness wrote a great book called The Call. And he was in a church and a young man and came from a missionary-minded family. His parents were missionaries in China. His brothers, two of his brothers, uh, died on the mission field. And he is a very, you know, Os Guinness is quite an apologist for Christianity. He's a young guy in his 20s. He's back in England. And he's working on a church staff, and he feels very, very uncomfortable. He just, he just... He wants to be used by God. He's working on this church task, and he feels like he doesn't fit. And he's pumping gas at a gas station, 
And it just struck him when some, he tells the story, it just struck him that he did not have to be, uh, because the guy was pumping gas next to him and they had a conversation. And then the guy drove off and Guinness drove off and he thought that's the most significant thing I've done in months, was to interact with a guy who obviously didn't know the Lord. And it set him free because he, he thought, you know what, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to do. And technically, he's not a pastor or a minister, but he's got a calling that's very, very unique. You've got a calling. I talked to a carpenter this week in California at a conference. Just talking to the guy, I said, what do you do? He goes, I'm a finished carpenter, and his eyes lit up. I said, yeah, what do you do? He says, I do a lot of the big houses in Hollywood and L.A., big houses. And he said, I, I, uh, he, he said I'm a craftsman. I, I, I love to make things. When people walk in, they just go, wow. And he said, I really do it. I mean, it's, God's gifted me. This is what I do. It's what I'm called. He said, this is what I'm called to do. I said, isn't that great? This is calling. Colossians says, whatever you do, do your work heartily, not as unto men, but as unto Christ, as the Lord Christ, whom you serve. Now, uh, we're called to different things. We are assigned to different posts. We're all different. We have different gifts. Uh, Paul says, let a man regard us in this manner, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. An apostle was a steward of the mysteries of God. Paul was used to write Scripture, okay? I haven't been called to write Scripture. You haven't been called to write Scripture. But we are servants of God. If you know Christ, you're the... Listen, there's one Lord, many servants. There's only one Lord, the rest of us are servants. And, and, but we're all stewards. You see, Paul was a steward of the mysteries of God. That's not your calling, it's not mine. But you were, you were a steward, a steward, when you think steward, think Joseph, being promoted under Potiphar. Before long, <clears throat> Joseph was in charge of the estate, but he answered to the master who was Potiphar. He had people under him. Uh, a, a steward has been given a responsibility. A steward has been given a job description. A steward has <clears throat> certain responsibilities and that's your task, and that's what you're called to do. So we have many servants, we have many stewards in here, but we're all assigned to different tasks. Now don't lose me here. Watch this. Next verse. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. Or some translations say, it is required of stewards, <coughs> excuse me, and if there's a bottle of water in the house, that'd be great. Thanks, Sean. Maybe a cheeseburger while you're up. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards, watch this, that one be found faithful. Faithful. Okay. This is where, when I, if I was, if I was rewriting that chapter and finishing strong, I would say that it not only takes vision to finish strong, but it takes focus to finish strong. And let me just reiterate what I mean. Because, you see, a steward is to be faithful. Uh, the guy I talked to in California, he's a finished carpenter. Uh, what do you do? What's your task? What's your where have you been gifted? Uh, if, if you work in an area where you've been gifted, you're a blessed man. If you're, uh, if you're working in an area that is not one of your strengths, if uh, you're frustrated. You were given certain gifts. You were given certain strengths. You also, uh, certain gifts and certain strengths were withheld from you. 
So when you are working in an area where you are not gifted, we quickly get frustrated as men. But if you enjoy your work, and if you're good at your work, that is a blessing of God. You see? So this guy's a finished carpenter. Um, I have a friend who was a CPA, and he traveled internationally. He just loved traveling internationally and meeting different people from different cultures, and he could relate to them. Very unique thing. He did that for years and years and years. Unbelievable miles he put. He, he, he was flying around the world. That's what he was called to do. He doesn't do that now, but it's what he, what he did. See, what's your gifting? What's your calling? That's your stewardship that you've been given. Now watch this. What is required of a steward? If you're a carpenter, if you're an accountant, if you lay sewer line, don't tell me that's not important. See, every job is significant and every job is important. Whatever you do, Whatever you do, do your work heartily, not as unto men, but as unto Christ. It's the Lord Christ whom you serve. Are you a coach? You're serving Christ. See, we all have these different stewardships that God has given to us, and we're working for Him. He's assigned us to our post. What is the responsibility of a steward? To be found faithful. To be found faithful in your assignment requires, watch this, focus. I want to finish strong. But in order to finish strong, I've got to live every day as it comes. As a steward, I have been given certain tasks by Almighty God, and I am to be faithful in the tasks that He has given to me and has called me to do. Now stay with me here. Flip over to Philippians chapter... 3 verse 12. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, and I don't want to do that. Philippians chapter 3 verse 12. And, and can I say this to you? Um, if you'll follow the Lord, watch Him get you into your slot. Ask Him, if you haven't found your slot, ask Him to get you there. Asking to direct your steps. Proverbs 16, the mind of man plans his way. See, when we're young, well, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do that. But as you get older, it's interesting, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. There are a lot of guys in here, thanks, Sean, so much. There are a lot of guys in here that are in their 40s, 50s, and 60s, and you're doing something you never thought you'd be doing, it, and you're loving it. Isn't that interesting? wasn't on your radar screen at all. You just don't know what God's going to do. And you say, well, you know, I, I, I don't feel like I really found my niche yet. Just keep following Christ. Stay teachable. Watch this. Philippians, uh, where am I going? Philippians 3, 12. Okay, now let's get a context here. It takes vision to finish strong. Yeah. How many years do I have left? I don't know. How many days do I have left? I don't know. But I want to finish strong. It takes vision. All right? I have been given, where I am in life today, I have been given a stewardship by Almighty God. I have been given a sphere of influence by Almighty God. So think about your sphere of influence. Where, does, where has God planted you? He planted Adam in a garden. And he was to tend the garden and take care of it. Uh, he was a husband. Uh, 
You've heard of animal husbandry? You can, you can get a degree in animal husbandry. Uh, animal husbandry is the um, breeding and the care of animals. Uh, there is agricultural husbandry. That is um, the care of the land, the care of crops, uh, crop rotation. You see, to husband, the concept of husband is to take care, to take care, to take care. The concept of a husband is not to take advantage. You don't take advantage of the animals. You don't take advantage of the land. You take care. Uh, you don't take over. You don't dominate. Uh, you, here's another one. You don't take off. You take care. Whatever your sphere of responsibility that God has placed you over as a man, you are to take care and you are to give an account to Almighty God for that sphere of influence that you have. So you live in a certain place. There are, you have a family. There are people you're in relationship with. There are friends. You have work. That is your area. That is your sphere of influence. Uh, where you are a steward, and what is required of a steward is that he be found faithful. Before I read Philippians 3.12, let me give you a concept. To be faithful is to keep your focus on your responsibilities. That's why I said it takes vision to finish strong, but it also takes focus. Why do I need focus? Because if I am going to be found faithful... As a steward, I, have, I mean, this is logical. If I'm going to be faithful as a steward, then I've got to be focused on the responsibilities of my stewardship every day. That's my job. See, we live in a world where everybody wants to be extraordinary. Not everybody's going to be extraordinary. Everybody wants to be exceptional. You probably won't have your face on the cover of Forbes or Fortune. Does that mean you're a failure? No, it just means you're a regular, ordinary guy. Abraham Lincoln said, God must love average people. He made so many of them. But see, everybody's important, and every work is important. But we live in this celebrity culture. Uh, extraordinary. Do radical things. I read all these Christian books. Radical. Be radical for Christ. Why don't you be normal for Christ? I read these books that tell me if you're really radical, you, you leave everything and you go on the mission field. Okay, that's, that's, that's great. And then I notice the guy that is telling me that to be radical, I've got to go and go on the mission field. He lives in the States. Now, I don't know his heart, I don't know, but I just, I, I just think, wait a minute, I, I'm having trouble following this. Because uh, before I read, and eventually I'm going to read Philippians 3. But... Another verse comes to my mind, and let's see if I can find it. I hadn't planned on this one. Let's see if I can pull this out. Come on. Before I even tell you where I'm going, let's see if I can find the verse. Come on. Okay. Ah! 411, 1 Thessalonians. He says, and make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you. 
Well, you've got to be radical. You've got to be extraordinary. That's not what this says. If everybody's radical, nothing gets done. I, I'm not, hey, if God calls you to the mission field, go. But if he doesn't call you, don't go. Don't go out of guilt. Um, all right, I want to finish strong. Are you, are you guys tracking me at all? Or am I just kind of doing NASCAR laps here? I want to finish strong. It takes vision to finish strong. Okay. I want to finish. But it also takes focus. Why? Because I'm a steward. To be a steward, I'm, I, I'm to be found faithful. Okay. So then to be found faithful, I've got to focus on the daily responsibilities that Christ has given me right where I am and, and, and punch in 1 Thessalonians 4.11. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you so that you will behave properly towards outsiders and not be in any need. Do your work. Provide for your family. Take care of your stuff. See, God loves that. You say, that's boring. No, that's called being faithful. Amen. There are a lot of young guys who go, oh, man, that's just boring to me. Well, that's what it means to be a man. <laughs> Most of life is boring. You know? That's just life. It's ordinary. It's the same-o, same-o. And it takes a man to get up and do the same-o, same-o every day. Amen. It's called being faithful. What's required of a steward is that you be unfaithful. Now, you know... Let's eventually, let's, let's go back to Philippians 3. Let's see if I can actually read this verse. Not that I have, 3.12, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. See, there's a reason he brought me to himself, not just to save me, but to use me. Now watch this. <clears throat> Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Boy, that is just dripping with wisdom. Um, this one thing I do, Forgetting what lies behind. Again, one of the enemy's primary tactics with men who are following Christ is to paralyze us and put us in the near despair over all the years we've wasted. Just know that's a strategy. And we've all wasted years. But what did Paul, did Paul waste years? He was killing Christians. Do you think that was ever thrown up in his face by the enemy? Constantly. What does Paul say? This one thing I do. Forgetting. There's not a thing I can do about that. It's under the blood of Christ. It's forgiven. It's a complete, sheer waste of energy to go back and relive that. Won't change a thing. It's wasted emotional energy. So forgetting what lies behind, now watch this. I press on towards the goal for the prize, that's the vision to finish strong, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And notice that he says, for the call. For the call. This isn't a call to preach. It's a call to follow Christ wherever you are. Huh. In your sphere of influence. It's not ordinary. It, 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 it's ordinary, but it's not insignificant. It's how God has laid out life. 
You see? So most men are married. And you go through life. And sometimes we go through divorces and all of this. And guys have had divorce in their past. They come to know Christ, right? I'm going to follow the Lord. I'm going to stay committed to this. Great. And then we go through life. And then we say, for better or worse, richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do you part. And one day, death will part you. One day. I have not ever experienced that. If, if, if Mary dies first, that's going to be real deep water for me. That's going to be tough. Because half of me is gone. And now some of you guys have experienced that. And that's been tough. That's been deep water. Man, I mean, and some of you are still sorting your way through that. It's part of life. But the tremendous thing is you'll be together with her again if you're both in Christ Jesus. Okay. Um, one other thing to notice in Philippians 3. Paul says this. In 13, he says, Brethren, I don't regard myself as having, load of, having laid, laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do. One thing I do. Okay. Uh, oftentimes when I do conferences, I'm there for a weekend, we'll take, at some point, we'll open up the floor and do a question-answer thing. Just, just to give guys a chance to breathe and interact. And it's, you know, it's, those are fun sessions. In the last month, as I've, I've done uh, two or three of those, and I've gotten in two different locations, I got the same question. Uh, the first time from a guy about 60, and the second time from a guy about 30. And the question was this. Here's the question. There are so many needs, and there are so many hurting people, and there are so many things that I could do. How do I figure out how to use my energy and to spend my life? How do I figure out what I should do? Because every time I, I read a website or I'll read a book, a Christian book, there's this need, there's this need, there's this need. How do I figure out what I'm supposed to do? Uh, this all ties into it, I think, because you see, here's what I would say. The older I get, the more I want to be a laser beam instead of a floodlight. Paul says, this one thing I do. You know what that's called? That's called focus. That's called focus. You've got to have a sense of what God has called you to do. Um, I recently talked with a guy who's really deeply involved in prison ministry. And he's being extremely effective in prison ministry. He asked me about getting involved in prison ministry. And he said, I may call you on some things. And I said, great. There could be some opportunities there. I said, great. Uh, are there hurting guys in prisons? Absolutely. Does that mean every guy in this room ought to be involved in prison ministry? The answer is no. No. 
But man, that's such a huge need. And so many of those guys need to be disciple. Absolutely. But see, then you turn around and say, well, we got a whole lot of, you know, um, we got a whole lot of people that are homeless, and we got this, and we got this. In other words, the needs are constant, and the needs are overwhelming. How do I figure out what I'm supposed to do? As I get older, and this is what I said to these guys. See, I want to finish strong. I want to finish with vision, and I want to finish focused. Watch this. On the calling which with, with which he has called me. See, there, God oversees the body, and there are many gifts in the body and he oversees the needs, and he knows how to meet the needs. But oftentimes, we'll hear of opportunities, great opportunities, and we'll feel like, I need to go do that. Well, you may need to go do it, or you may not need to do it. See, to finish strong is to stay faithful and to stay focused on what he has called you to do. Am I making any sense at all? Yes. Okay. Uh, Randy Alcorn, I've known Randy for 40 years, great writer. I was looking at his website the other day, actually this morning, and he posted an article, uh, a lesson hard learned, being content with saying no to truly good opportunities. He says, I used to say no to 95% of speaking, and let's meet for coffee, and please read my book request. I'd say no to 95% of it. That's what I used to do. Now. I say no 99% of the time. The standard reply my assistant gives is one I came up with 15 years ago. Randy has to say no to the great majority of good opportunities so that he can say yes to the very few that God wants him to do. I believe this with all my heart, though it took me many years to learn the hard way. Back then I would say yes to speaking engagements two years away since the calendar was open. Then the time would come and I'd be buried in a book project ask, asking myself why I ever said yes to the speaking. I once felt guilty about declining most requests, so I was reading a dozen books a year for endorsements, saying yes to friends who wanted me to speak, meeting people who were coming through Portland, but then I was always behind writing my own books and writing is my primary calling. Did you get that? My primary calling. See, what has God called Randy to do? Primarily to write, not to speak, but to write. That's a calling. Now, here's a question. What has he called you to do? I was speaking at a conference, men's conference, uh, for a denomination 10 years ago. The guy before me, he was speaking to the guys, uh, was a denominational executive, good guy, really, guy really, you know, loves the Lord, solid guy. And he had this idea that he wanted to take, and I'm trying to remember how many guys it was, but he wanted to take a thousand guys, it might have been 800, I think it was a thousand. That's a good round number. He wanted to take a thousand guys and go to a certain country for like two weeks and do this project. And he really laid it out to all these guys. Uh, he was excited about it, he was motivated, and he laid it on pretty thick. In fact, I, the, the guilt was starting to flow down the aisles. <laughs> You really need to do this. You really need to be a part of this. You know, you know, I mean, and he was well-intentioned. Well, then it was my turn to get up. And I said, let me just say a word about what was shared about the project. Great project. Um, if you go, you need to be very, very certain that you're called to go. And if you're not called to go, don't go. 
you need to pray carefully. You need to talk to your wife. You need to look at your priorities, and you need to look at your calling. But if you're not called, don't go. And don't feel guilted into going. You see? That was not the intention, but it could come across, and perhaps some of you are feeling that way. Great opportunity. Question is, does the Lord want you to do it? If he does, go. If he doesn't, stay home. Well, the guy was waiting for me when I got off. <laughs> and we're friends. And he goes, man, Steve, you cut me off at the knees. I said, I don't think I did. I, I know your heart, and I know what you're trying to do. And I know you're excited about that. But in your excitement, I, I think what can happen is that you can kind of guilt guys into feeling like they need to go. And you don't want guys going because they're guilted into it. You want guys going because they're called to go, Right? He goes, well, yeah, I'm not sure I crossed that line. I said, maybe you didn't, but it seemed to me you were virgin on it. And you know as well as I do, the guys that are supposed to be there, God will get them there. If it's 1,000, great. If it's, if it's 94, great. You see? Don't go unless you're called to go. If you're called to write and you're speaking all the time, how the heck are you going to write? Um... I remember doing a book with one of my publishers, and I'd just gotten it in the can, and you know, they'd gotten it in, and the cover, you know, it's coming out here, it's getting ready to launch, oh good, good. And I get a call from somebody at the publisher, never talking with them before, oh Steve, we're so excited about this campaign, we've got you lined up to do 150 radio interviews. And I said, really? Oh yeah, it's going to be great, we've hired this company, they've got them all set up, major markets. I said, well. How many do you think you can do? And I said, I can't do any. You can't do any? No, I can't do any. Well, why can't you do any? Well, number one, I'm already on the next book for your publisher. Have you, did you actually talk with anybody? And see, I, I do conferences on the weekend. I teach a Bible study during the week. See, I've got responsibilities in place, and I'm already on the next book but if I do 150 radio interviews, I can't do what I'm called to do. That didn't go over real well. We, C.H. Spurgeon once said, learn to say no. It will do you more good than learning to read Latin. <laughs> Does that make sense? Just say no. No, I can't do it. And Randy's article here is being content with saying no to truly good opportunities. Truly good opportunities. And there are great opportunities. The question is, are you called? So, let's, let's walk through this here for a few minutes. We, all right, let's just track now. We want to finish strong. Everyone wants to finish strong. Okay? Um, so, I, I, I need vision to finish strong. But I also need to focus. Why do I need to focus? Because Paul said, this one thing I do, pressing, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So what, God, what has God called you to do? So you see, here's where I am. I don't want to be a floodlight. I don't want to be spread out everywhere. I've done that. When I was young, I'd get called to speak. Like I'd get flying a plane, sure, I'll go speak, I'll go speak. And then what happens is, after a while, you get worn out from the speaking, from the traveling, and then I'm trying to do books, and I found myself running out of energy and running out of gas and being very, very irritable at home. That's not a good way to live. Because I was saying yes to too many things. You see, because 
can I say this? The days of our lives, they contain 70 or through the strength 80 years. So teach me the number of my days that I may present to thee a heart of wisdom. I found in my younger years, I was lacking in wisdom when it came to saying yes or no to request. And my family would suffer. To me, this is practical Christianity. And see, the older I get, I want wisdom because I got X amount of years left. So I want to be not a floodlight spread out everywhere. I want to be a laser beam because when you're focused, light focused can have incredible impact. So I, when, when stuff comes my way, and I want you to think this through with me, because well, you have the same thing. All kinds of good stuff are rolling your way. All right? The question is, the question is and, and, and this is how you figure out, what do I do? The question is, am I called to do it? If I'm not called to do it, I'm going to say no. So let me break this down for you. I am called to provide for my family, and so are you. First uh, Timothy 5, you don't provide for your own, you're worse than a pagan. So men are to work, and they're to provide for their families. It takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of effort to make ends meet. It's just tough, that's all there is to it. So it takes a lot of hours, it takes a lot of your energy, but you're called to do it. You're not called to be a sluggard, you're called to work. Okay. So I'm called, that's a calling. All right? Number two, I'm married. If you're married, 1 Peter 3, 7, you husbands likewise live with your wives in an understanding way, uh, as with a weaker vessel since she is a woman. That just means she's physically weaker. Uh, grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Uh, husbands, Ephesians 5, love your wives as Christ loved the church. In other words, I'm to pay attention to my wife. I'm to take care of my wife. So I just don't... Uh, wave to her, passing her in the driveway once a day. Hey, good to see you. Text me. Send me a text. <laughs> Let's get together Valentine's. <laughs> That's not how you build a marriage. That's not how you build a family. Uh, I heard James Dobson, my buddy Gary Rosberg, and I were talking, and he, he was speaking with Dr. Dobson years ago, and we were on the phone. He said, Steve, Dr. Dobson said something so f interesting today. Someone asked him, what was the greatest, in, the, in his mind, what was the greatest uh, threat to the American family? That's a great question. Boy, you could answer a lot of things. You know what Dobson said? He said, I think the greatest threat to the American family is fatigue. That was insightful. Because we're all exhausted. Why are we exhausted? Because we're doing too much. We're running, we're gunning, we're going 24-7. That's the American pace of life. We've, been, we've even named our pace 24-7. We go 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You ever had someone call you real early in the morning? I mean, really early. You're in a coma. <laughs> you knock the lamp over trying to get the phone. I mean, you're so deep, you don't even know where you are. And you finally get the phone, you go, hello? The guy says, oh, did I wake you? <laughs> No, I'm always up at 3.15. Now, it's funny, when they say, have you ever had this happen? Oh, did I wake you? What do you say? No. No, no I'm always up at 3.15. I go to bed at 3, get up at about 3.15. No, I was up. We're embarrassed somebody caught us sleeping. We're embarrassed somebody caught us resting because we're supposed to always be running and gunning 24-7. That's insane. See, this is... 
You're running and gunning, she's running and gunning, the kids are running and gunning, and everybody is worn out and fatigued and exhausted. And how can you have meaningful relationships when you're both shot and can't even keep your eyes open? Get to the root cause. So, we're talking about finishing strong. Well, I want to finish married to Mary. So I've got to give her time, and I've got to take care, and I've got to be connected. I am called to spend time with my wife. Okay? i got three kids. They're all adults. They're still my kids. I'm grateful they'll call or drop by. Hey, Dad, you got some time? Yeah, i got time. You busy? No, I'm good. What do you got? I thought I might drop by. Come on over. That happened to me twice this week. Why? That's my responsibility. They're adults. I'm still their father. It's a different relationship, but I need to be connected. I am called, you see. And what the enemy wants to do is get a wedge between me and my kids, even as adults. I can't let him do that. That takes effort. That takes energy. It takes being connected. I am called to that. So let's add them up. I'm called to provide. I'm called to love my wife. I'm called to Rachel, John, and Josh. That's five. Um, I'm called to develop my relationship with the Lord. You see, that's time in the Scriptures. That's six. Uh, I'm in a church. And I, 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 you know what? I can really only do one thing in our church here. And I'm doing it right now. With everything else I've got going on, this is what I can do. And a couple times a year, I'm honored if Chuck asks me to step in, I'll step in. That's pretty much all I can do. Because see, now I'm at five, I'm at six. I'm at six things I know I'm called to do. I, that, and I am called to be faithful in that stewardship. And I'm going to be honest with you, I, and I'll tell you, I've added one more that I never had in my life. And I've added it recently. <clears throat> um, I'm trying to steward my health and steward my energy, physically and emotionally. So I am, uh, I'm trying to eat like a parakeet <laughs> or like a eight-year-old girl, <laughs> kind of a challenge. I'm trying to eat healthily, healthy is what I'm trying to do. You, you, I should have been doing it a long time ago, but I'm trying to do that. And I'm also trying to do my swimming four to five times a week. Yesterday, about 4.30, I was completely out of gas. I was so tired. I thought, they crossed my mind, I'm not going to go swim. And then I thought, you know what? I got to swim. Because if I go swim, I'll get some energy, you see. Earlier in the week, I had two unscheduled meetings with my sons, and I'm glad they came over and we had some, you know, it was great, really significant time. You don't schedule that time, it just happens, you see? But as a result, I had things on my list that I gladly rolled over the next day, and then I got a couple of calls, hey, can, can I get with you and get with you and do this? No, I can't do that, because I know I'm called to do this. I wish I could do this, but I can't, you see? And maybe they understood and maybe they didn't, but that's not my job. And that's not your job. 
are you getting this, guys? And we do this daily. We fight this daily, do we not? So see, I've added trying to eat healthily and work out and swim. And it was funny because I was worn out by the time I was on that second lap. I already had surges of energy. You see? I'm trying to steward that. It, to me, it's right, it's right underneath reading my scriptures. I'm called to do it if I'm going to finish strong. <clears throat> See, this is practical everyday stuff. It's not going to the ends of the earth. It's not being on the cover of a magazine. It's just punching in, showing up, following Jesus, doing the same old, same old, loving Christ, loving your family, paying your bills, paying your taxes, giving to the Lord's work, showing up at Bible study. See, this is called consistency. What's required of a steward is that he be found faithful, that he is focused on what he has been called to do. This is how we finish strong. And a lot of times we get trapped into thinking, well, you know, that's not all that significant. Uh, use your imagination with me just for a minute. Uh, I'm actually done, and there's a minute 39 left on the clock. That, that's never happened to me in 14 years here. I'm kind of thinking I missed something. I, I don't know what's going on here. Um, uh, use your imagination for a minute. <clears throat> get in a time machine and go back to the uh, time of the New Testament. And let's say you get out of that DeLorean in that time machine or whatever you're driving. And you're in the Roman Empire and you just start talking to a few people. And uh, say, hey, I'm, I'm from uh, a couple thousand years in the future and I'm just curious. Tell me who uh, the significant people are in Rome, in the Roman Empire. Oh, well, uh, well there's... Uh, Caesar, he's pretty significant. There's, uh, there's Nero. Um, there's Brutus. Okay. Well, let me ask you something. There's this, um, there, there's this, this, this man named Paul. Paul. Yeah. Uh, he used to be called Saul. Uh, oh, well, he's actually in prison over here. Yeah. And he had some uh, associates. Uh, Timothy? Yeah, I've not heard of him, but uh, yeah, no, Paul's not significant. He's just, uh, well, there were some ladies, uh, Mary, uh, Martha. I'm not familiar with them. Um, no, I haven't heard of them at all. Uh, so you, you're, not, you're not familiar. They're followers of Jesus. Uh, no, 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 it doesn't ring a bell. None of those names ring a bell. Is that not fascinating? That's probably what you would get if you were to ask the average person 2,000 years ago the Roman Empire. But here we are 2,000 years later. Um, uh, you could very easily think their lives didn't count and their lives weren't significant. But here we are 2,000 years later, and the fact of the matter is we name our dogs Caesar and Brutus and Nero. And we, need, we name our kids Paul, Timothy. We name our girls Mary, Martha. Isn't that fascinating? Don't ever underestimate the significance of your life. What you are doing counts 
and it counts for eternity. How blessed we are to name the name of Christ because he has called us. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Uh, each, each guy in here is different. Each guy has different gifts. Each guy has different callings. Some of us work with our hands. Some of us work over the phone primarily. Uh, we have different skills. We have different gifts, different abilities that you have handed to us. Uh, we have family. We have family relationships. Some of us uh, are married. Some of us are divorced. Uh, everybody in here is in a family in some way, shape, or form. Those are important relationships. We have people we work with. We have people in our sphere of influence. And you have called us and you have put us in a place. You have put us in a garden. You have put us in a sphere that is important. And yes, Lord, we do want to finish strong as we follow you. I, I'm mindful of the fact that before you ever did public ministry, Lord Jesus, that you worked in the same little shop, in the same little town, among the same people, doing the same trade, being a carpenter for years and years and years. And by doing that, you showed us that that kind of life and that kind of work is significant and honorable. So for those of us who lead ordinary lives, we thank you that you are in the middle of it and that this life is not all there is, but that you've prepared a place for us in eternity forever. And as David said, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How blessed we are. And by your power and by your strength, you will enable us to be faithful and actually finish strong. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.